This episode of this podcast is making me thirsty is brought to you by Sunshine Carpet Cleaners. Welcome to this podcast is making me thirsty. This is episode 27. In this episode, we talked to Peter Melman. Peter was a writer producer on Seinfeld for um, basically the entire run of the show from 89 to 98, uh, seasons two through eight. Even had some uh, some credits in season nine. Huge part of the show, um, you know. One of the one of the main uh, contributors wrote over twenty episodes, um, including uh, the Virgin, the Visa, the Implant, Smelly Car, the Hamptons, Chinese Restaurant, uh, yada yada yada. Um, just uh, you know, huge huge part of the show. We were super excited to talk to him. Um, you know, if you like what you're hearing, please pass it on to someone else. Follow us on Twitter at this thirsty at this thirsty. Um, email us at uh, pretzelspod at protonmail.com. And uh, yeah, Peter Melman, enjoy. You hear me now? Yes. Okay, great. Perfect. All right. I'm just going to do a quick intro here, I think, just to let everyone know we have you. But, um, well, folks, when you when you do a uh, podcast dedicated to Seinfeld, you make a short list of who you want on. And uh, we are very excited to have on here one of the uh, pioneers of the show. He is, uh, belongs on Mount Rushmore of Seinfeld. He is a uh, writer, exec producer of Seinfeld for almost the entire run, uh, seasons two through through eight. Uh, wrote episodes, The M- Implant, The Hamptons, The Visa, The Virgin, came up with Double Dip, Shrinkage, Low Flow, Real and Spectacular, You're So Good Looking. Uh, I mean, this, this guy's written a ton of books. He worked with uh, Howard Cosell, Tony Kornheiser, uh, produced a web series called Narrow World of Sports. Uh, Peter Melman, thank you so much for being here, Peter. My pleasure. Yeah, we are super excited. Um, so yeah, we just were. Uh, I think you know, just gonna go through. Uh, you know, obviously talking Seinfeld here. So um, you know, just going through some of those episodes you wrote. Um, it seems to be a lot of your stories uh, revolved around relationships. Whether it was you know George wanting Jerry's girlfriend to like him in the masseuse, or you know George not wanting Jerry to be funny, you know, in the Visa. Um, a lot of relationship stuff. A lot of. Um, personal appearance stuff with the uh, hair piece, body odor, breast implants, nose job. Uh, it just seemed to be your wheelhouse, kind of writing about relationships. Is this um, something you're obviously conscious of? Is it, is it, you know, just kind of touch on that a little bit for us, just kind of get an idea of your writing style and your relationship humor? Um, yeah, you know, that's true, and I've never exactly understood why that was. I mean, you know, I was out and dating around during the show and, you know, had been in New York for many years. And um, while I was a freelance writer my last five years in New York, I used to write a lot of articles and essays for women's magazines. You know, like I'd be writing for like Mademoiselle and Elle and Glamour. And, you know, so I was writing a lot of things from male point of view. And, you know, that's where relationshipy stuff was um, really the main course. So, um, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm glad you noticed that there was a, at least some kind of loose theme. There was also another one in a way, because they, I, the whole thing about, um, you know, different kinds of birth control was in there, too. It's true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there was the sponge, there sponge. was the thing about where, you know, Elaine says in front of the Virgin, tells her this whole story about how she dropped her diaphragm on the street. Yep. And, um, you know, there was something about vasectomies, and then there was Kramer um, having a low sperm count. So, you know, I, I don't know. I guess I got these little minor obsessions here and there. Well, it's if funny. I- Kramer, Kramer shot one past the goalie, right? But we kind of never... We never found out if uh, if he had that kid. Yeah, yeah. Well, Stay away from that. yeah, that was the that was best left alone. I think. Yeah. <laughs> so, Peter, th- back to themes. Um, a lot of your episodes had recurring characters, like the Visa with Babu and Ping, the Masseuse Risotto Girl, the Scofflaw with Jake Charmel and Mr. Lipman, 
um, et cetera, et cetera. Was this intentional or is that part of kind of Larry's original vision of the script or that particular year? I would say that was um, not exactly intended, but, you know, just the way Larry was doing things, you know, you'd follow along. And it was always better if you could, um, if you're going to have outside characters, it was always nice to have someone that, that you've already had, you know, because, you know, in a way you wanted to make the world seem at least somewhat realistically finite. You know, like they didn't know 8 million people. So, um, you know, I, I was always drawn to the much smaller slice of life stories. So, you know, I didn't want to bring in some really super dominant guest character, you know, a character that was going to get all the laughs at the expense of our main characters. You know, I really want, for me personally, it was really important that the main characters drove all the stories. We appreciate did you have that. A favorite, did you have a favorite secondary character? Like for me, it was uh, Littman. I don't know why. Yeah, he was pretty great. Uh, because he, <laughs> You never exactly knew what he was thinking, you know, like he really loved Elaine, but he, he kind of liked screwing with her a little bit, you know, he was always messing with her head. Um, you know, I, um, I, I don't think I had one in particular of the outside characters that was, um, mm, no, not really. You um, you mentioned Larry kind of driving some things there when you were talking about, um, you know, recurring characters and things. In my opinion, your episodes sounded the most like Larry David. Uh, it, it's almost like I, I would have thought he wrote some of them. If, you know, I didn't, wasn't such a deep fan of the show and knew that you wrote them. But I'm just saying, like, the way you wrote George, um, you know, some of the lines you came up with, like, I'm living 20 lies, my whole life is a sham. You know, just you really captured George and and – we were just talking about before you came on, just the, you know, the Hamptons, George, obviously, but just did, did you write for Larry because you knew his sense of humor or did you share his sense of humor? Was it like intentional? Because it just seems like of all the, all those writers on the show, yours, you know, connected with Larry David's uh, humor the most, I, in my opinion. I, I agree with you definitely on the, on the story front, you know, Larry loved doing small slice of life stories, tiny little things that would blow up. And that's where I wanted to always be, you know, like I wasn't, you know, into having, you know, Kramer driving a bus or, you know, things like that. You know, that that's just not the kind of stuff that I would even think about. You know, there were other writers who, who did, you know, but I, I was um, always kind of, wedded to Larry's original, you know, concept of the show, you know, that just these tiny little stories. So, um, you know, and as far as, you know, dialogue and, and funny lines, you know, I think I do, I did share like Larry's um, sensibility in that way. You know, like every, every time I'd read one of Larry's scripts, I'd, go up to him and he'd go, your favorite line you're about to tell me? And I, <laughs> and I just tell him and he go, yeah, I would have guessed that was the one you would Do you have any of those that you could think of that were your favorite lines of his? Or You know, there was one really early, early on that I just absolutely loved where George says, I've never really had an appointment where I wanted the other person to show up. <laughs> That's one of my favorites. I you use it all the time. One of the greatest lines in the history of TV. Agreed, agreed. I think I probably have that thought once a week. <laughs> we had that thought right now. We wanted to talk to you. We were I know, I know. <laughs> Anytime something's canceled, I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> so, Peter, it's kind of, it's been well established, right? Like Seinfeld wasn't the typical sitcom, right? Like behind the scenes, like no writer's rooms, you name it, right? But can you kind of give us a sense of the structure, like, did Larry and Jerry have a vision for certain seasons? Like, like in theory, the Hamptons, you, you could have plopped that in any season, right? Like, I know season four had an arc, and you had a lot of standalone episodes there. But, like, just how did it work? Like, before the season, did, like, Larry and Jerry sit everyone down and say, hey, this is kind of what we're thinking, and 
and you kind of just pitch concepts or full scripts. Can you can touch on a little bit of the, the process and the structure? Season four was the only season where there was an arc or any kind of story started at the beginning that we knew was going to carry on. Maybe also you think about season seven when George and Jerry, you know, talk about getting married and, you know, so there's that plot line. Um, but otherwise, you know, you'd come in in the beginning of the season, we would not sit down and have kind of a overall look at the season meeting. You just have to come in with story ideas, you know, here, here's my list of Elaine stories. Here's my list of George stories, Jerry stories. And, you know, Larry and, you know, Jerry would just say, no, I like that one. Yeah, no, nah, I don't think so. And then, you know, you were kind of on your own to match up the different character stories into one script. I mean, you know, you were very much on your own, but, you know, at least you had that um, approval of some of your ideas, so you know you were going in the right direction. But, you know, that put a lot on you, and it made it very, you know, it made it, it, made it difficult. You know, it definitely was harder than most sitcoms where, you, you know, you're sitting around in a room and you're beating out these stories as a group, you know, beat by beat, and then all you're basically doing is going back and doing dialogue, which is, you know, dialogue is the easiest part of it. So that's interesting. So essentially you came up with like X amount of ideas for George, Jerry, Elaine, and then kind of piece them together. Did any, I guess the question is, did any of them not match? It was like, did that like the Hamptons, for instance, were there other storylines that were supposed like in your head for that one, but didn't make sense? Um, in the Hamptons, I had, the idea of the girlfriend going topless and the others seeing her before everybody else, before George did, which, you know, in, in a different, in a much different form happened to me in real life. And, um, we're listening. We're listening. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I had a friend whose, whose girlfriend, you know, you know, the, the thing was he had been dating her for quite a while. And all of a sudden, one day she went, you know, topless on the deck of our summer of the summer house. And you know, my, you know, my little thought was, wow, he's he put so much effort into getting to see this, and I'm I'm getting it for free. <laughs> you know, which was kind of like I had lying around. And the other story um, that I just loved, you know, once I had a, decided that they they do a whole story in the Hamptons, you know, for some reason, but the ugly baby idea, I just knew that Larry and Jerry would love that. And so, you know, that dictated that woman, you know, who used to go, the baby, you got to see the baby, you know, I mean, you know, she had been in prior episodes. So, you know, there was two stories there. I had a little bit of a difficult time coming up with the Elaine story, but you know, having the doctor describe the baby and the ugly baby and Elaine as breathtaking, you know, that was kind of, okay, that was good. And the Kramer story, I didn't have really much of anything. And, you know, I needed a lot of help. And, you know, that was a lot of group thing coming up with, you know, what Kramer would do there. Again, Kramer, you know, going out to the beach and finding lobsters, probably a little bit outside of, um, the kind of stories I think of. <laughs> yeah, but those Kramer lines, like, okay, show's over, or she's got a great body buddy, like, always resonate, like, spot on. So, again, yeah. Hampton, for me, the best one, the best one was, Jerry, was Jerry going, Boutros, Boutros. Oh. <laughs> you know, that was a Jerry line, and, you know, such a great line. You know, Jerry probably, it's amazing how little he has to know to make, like, the perfect joke. You know, he probably had a vague idea that Boutros, Boutros Ghali was like the guy at the U United Nations. And, you know, <laughs> the fact that the guy had like, you know, the same name twice, <laughs> you know, only Jerry would like really hook into that. Speaking, I love that. Yeah, it's, it's one of our favorites. It's definitely one of our favorites. We, uh, we had ranked all of them prior to uh, earlier on in our podcast. Um, 
Speaking of that, Jerry saying Butch was golly sort of, I, 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 you know, just rewatching your episodes, um, there are so many reactions that are so good. And I don't know if you wrote it in the script, if it was a director at the time, if it was the actor, but a couple of them that come to mind is um, George puts his head in the oven when, when he finds out his parents are getting divorced. Um, in the implant, when, he, when the, there's an emergency and he's in the background, you know, doing his thing when she's on the phone with the aunt. Um, in the shower head, Jerry drops his bottle when he finds out his parents are, are, are you know, moving back to stay, you know, staying in New York. I mean, those stuck out. Obviously, the Elaine push, the first push by Elaine and get out. I mean, do you know, I mean, you might know, obviously you wrote the episode, but like, did you write that, write that in there, any of those? Or was that like the director? Is that uh, no, actors? That's, that's, that's the actors. All of that, yeah, wow. Holy because cow. they did that during the week. I mean, I, you know, the get at, you know, get out. I didn't even know that that was in one of them. That was like. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it is what it is. Yeah, it's not the, yeah. the end all. I thought the head in the oven was one of the best, uh, best yeah, reactions no, for George. Just, that was just all like stuff they figured out on the set, which was, you know, why they had so much fun. You know, in a way, you didn't really want to give too much stage direction in your scripts because, you know, them the actors working things out and coming up with stuff like that was so much fun for them. And, you know, when, especially when you think about when it comes to Julia, you know, you don't want to give her much in the way of instruction because every line you write for her that you love, she's going to more than likely uh, speak it in a way that you never dreamed of. You know, and at first you're like, wait, that's not right. And then you go, oh, no, it's not right. It's 10 times better. So it's not like the pilot, the pilot pilot, when when George is on the set telling him what to do. And Jerry's like, I don't think these actors uh, really like it when you uh, tell them that that's kind of true to form. And you're not really on the set when the actors are doing their thing. You've written it and that's you give it and then it's on them to. Well, yeah, they spend, you know, they spend a lot of time. And then, you know, like at the read-throughs or something like that, you can make little suggestions here or there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were all very free to um, chime in if we felt strongly about something, you know? Yeah. So, Peter, I think a big part of the show was the sports references. Um, yeah. You make a lot like the apartment with the marathon, MSG, the Knicks game being taped. The implant, right? Can't go left. Mickey Mantle cork the bat. Why play man to man? We can play zone. And cr- what's really interesting is in the Visa and the Smelly Car, right? That the spe- and I know you're a New York guy, like, but the specific references mentioning Joe Pepitone, Hank Bauer, Moose Gower, and Cleek Boyer, right? And Kramer mentioning the Steinbrenner tra- like trading away Buner, McGee, Drayback, McGriff, and then Jerry with the great line. I know the list, right? Like we all know the it, list. You know. We love it, like as New Yorkers, we love it. But like, why was it so important to get so specific, especially like on a national show, right? I mean, we loved it here, but um, can you touch on that a little bit? Uh, you know, one thing I always admired and loved about Larry is that if he thought it was funny and he thought it was real, you know, the fact that you know, seventy percent of the audience might not get it, that didn't bother him. You know, and, you know, that was a really, that's an incredibly important part of the show because, you know, the downfall of the sitcom is not trusting your audience to get things. That's what, uh, that kills humor and it kills the sitcom, you know? And, um, you know, it's funny, I was just looking at an old New Yorker cartoon the other day, and it was like a woman in therapy saying to her therapist, do you think you could, you know, like, talk to me like you're Terry Gross? You know, who is, you know, the host of Fresh Air on NPR. Now I was thinking, like, you know, that's like Seinfeld, because only, like, X percentage of the people are going to get it. You know, so, you know, Larry... He um, he stuck to his guns, you know. If he thought something was funny, it didn't matter. And, you know, ultimately, you know, he wrote an episode about John Cheever, 
you know, he wrote the Cheever letters, you know, <laughs> you know, like, okay, so you know what? They're not going to know who John Cheever is, but you know, maybe they'll look it up on the on their own. You know, maybe they'll actually find out who John Cheever is because people want to know if they don't get it. You know, yeah. so um, I don't think if, if it was funny or good, you know, we that wasn't we weren't going to let that stop us. Were you? Uh, I'm just curious. Like growing up, you grew up in Queens. Were you? Uh, I know you wear a Dodger blue now, but were you a Yankee fan? Yes. But you're not anymore. No, I still am. All right, just just because I mean that. Yeah, that it's funny. Like obviously, Larry's a Yankee fan and Jerry's a Met fan. But it, and they had the Hernandez episode. But um, but I guess the char- the character of Steinbrenner was just too compelling not to to latch onto the Yankees. Was that kind of the thought process there? Yeah, I mean, you know, that's Larry. You know, Larry's like a Yankee freak. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Larry, actually, I had this one written down because I know he's the man in the cape in your episode uh, when you wrote, you know, the man in the cape with the uh, the Chinese woman episode. First of all, did you come up with that idea about a man in a cape? Yes. Okay. I lo- that's, that's just an amazing uh, guy. Did you know a guy I, in a cape or you just thought that would be yeah. a funny thing to do? Yes, I know. I knew a woman who was dating a film director whose name I'm forgetting, but he would wear, he wore a cape. <laughs> so Larry played that guy. So yeah. he also was the, you know, a Dalrymple on the Greenpeace on the raft, and he was in a newsstand with the lips on the, on the bill. Um, besides his voice being in countless things, like, was there any conscious decision? Because, you know, after we saw him on, on Curb all those years later, you know, being on camera so much, did he pick, did he want to be the man in the cape or was it just a matter of necessity? Did he just think it'd be funny? Because that was a kind of a funny, funny character. He really didn't say a word. I don't know. We, we both uh, got a chuckle out of it. And, and just interesting he, when he chose to be on camera and when he didn't. Yeah, I, I don't think there was any rhyme or reason to it. It was just like at certain times it would be good to just have Larry do it. You know, um, <laughs> I think the, only, the only line he had in there is, you know, at the end when he goes, I'm Frank Costanza's lawyer. <laughs> that's funny it is that's it that's funny right there but you deliver it it's hilarious and you know like the whole story about george's parents splitting up you know like amazing my whole idea of that was that they split up the re- the reason they split up is because it was enough already <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah jerry have you ever met them before yeah yeah how's it going look? yeah um Peter, you mentioned um you know, writing for Elaine and George and letting the characters do their thing. I mean, and you often reference like getting out on top, right. And staying true to the original principles of the show, right. Not, not getting involved in like Kramer driving the bus or the Puerto Rican day parade. The way we've kind of analyzed the show is I feel like we feel like Jerry and Kramer for the most part stayed consistent on how they acted and, and George kind of changed a little bit after season six, which is kind of like, ha ha, like yelling and stuff like that. And Elaine became more of a, I don't know, a power woman, if you will. Did, did you guys notice that? Was that something that was written or was that something? Um, Cause we noticed it was kind of a shift when it moved from Tom Sharonis to Andy Ackerman. Um, at least with those two characters, did, did the writers, have a sense of that or, or write towards the changing of the characters or did you not notice that? Um, I noticed it, but you know, I didn't really, you know, at least hopefully from my point of view, take part in it. <laughs> you know, I mean, I just, you know, I didn't, uh, like I said, I, I wanted to continue with the smallest possible stories I could. And, um, you know, there were times when I objected when I thought things were going a little over the top. And, you know, and maybe there were times when, you know, Jason was feeling like he had to push it a little bit more to, you know, to get the laughs or something like that. And, you know, I mean, the funny thing is, you know, the level of success the show had, you know, the budgets went through the roof. So, you know, it got to be more and more where you could, instead of, you know, thinking about the number of sets that you're using just to keep the, you know, because it costs a lot of money just to build any new set. You know, it was like $25,000 every time you built a new set or something like that. 
And that was th that, those were things we thought about in the early seasons. You know, but once the budget became virtually unlimited, you know, there was a lot of outside scenes and, you know, really big stuff. And, you know, some of the episodes earlier, which got, which were pretty big, were fantastic. You know, like the parking garage or, you know, the, uh, you know, like when, when the cabin burns down, <laughs> you know, I mean, these were, you know, big episodes. So, I mean, Yes, I, I, I understand where you're coming from. Um, I'm not totally sure that Jerry remained exactly the same, but his growth was kind of interesting. I mean, you know, there was a certain point in, you know, during the, during the Junior Mint where he realized that he could get away with kind of being a prick. <laughs> Valid point. Yeah, I guess I would say, I think Jerry just, a, compared to the other two or three, yeah. probably a little more consistent. But I, yeah, I think he definitely grew as a character, for sure. You know, it helped also that he grew as an actor a little, you know, he got a little bit more confident. Yeah, it's noticeable, for sure. Um, yeah. This kind of a side question, not not so much cypher related, but I noticed you're um, your a big doodler. Uh, you actually sell, you sell doodles. I noticed like, are they doodles on the script? Like talk to me about doodling. I'm, I, it's a fun of an odd question, but I'm a doodler too. And my daughter doodles now and she's only in uh, third grade. And she told me she was like, she's on zoom calls now for her classes. And she's like, you know, it looks like I'm not paying attention, but I really am paying more attention when I doodle. And I thought she summed it up perfectly. And, you know, I've read articles about that too, that it helps you concentrate and things like that. I'm just curious. Uh, I noticed you're a big doodler. Absolutely. And I've said that, and I had to say the same thing during Seinfeld, you know, like if in those occasions where we would meet as a group or something like that, I was all, you know, I was doodling anyway, but you know, I'd always be doodling and it got to the point and I would say that I'm paying more attention. Exactly. I, I was just like your daughter. I was saying that I'm much more focused on what's going on than anybody else. But at a certain point, Larry and Jerry banned me from doodling during the uh, dur during any meetings, and uh, you know, so I have all these Seinfeld covers that I doodled on, and we uh, made prints out of some of them, and uh, they're now available at property prop at popular prices on um, bravelyoblivious.com or my website, petermelman.com. Yeah, that's where I saw them on your web. I just thought that was, I was so, uh, just, I don't know. I, I love doodling too. I thought that was interesting. That's yeah. hilarious. That no, they, uh, I'm not, they like a, and now it's basically, you know, my whole life because, you know, you know, for the last four years, I'm sitting there watching, you know, MSNBC obsessively, you know, and, uh, you know, and I, I don't really want to see any of, any of these people. You know, I, I just, you know, I want to see Trump on my screen. So, you know, like I'm got my head down doodling. Crazy. So, Peter, you wrote, in my opinion, like some of the most iconic, from, even I think the visas up there, the implant, um, the Hamptons clearly. But you mentioned that you have two to three stinkers that you wrote. Care to share which ones you were referring to? Um. I don't really like the Good Samaritan very much. Um, the um, you know I I don't um, the Good Samaritan the there were a few um, I'm forgetting which others. What didn't um, you like about the Good Samaritan? I think it's very underrated. Um. The Good Samaritan is what is the early one, right? Yeah, with you know the uh, the penis and the brain. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Season yeah, three, yeah. It's the season three episode. Yeah, you know, it has it has some good moments. Um, the penis brain thing was 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 Larry and Jerry's idea. Um, um, I don't know. I just I didn't like uh, so much what happened with. Um, you know the woman who Jerry met when she she hit somebody's car, and and drove off. I don't know. I I don't feel like that story went anywhere. You know, 
And there are other things. Um, the one, I'm trying to remember the one where, um, where Newman had all the, the parking. Yeah, the scarf Not crazy about that one. Um, that has a great, you, that, that's um, you, yeah, John Lovitz. That's John Lovitz, yeah. Yeah. You, you know, so yeah. yeah. Was that written for him? Because it almost seemed like it was written for him. You know what? Um, I was, we were having so much trouble with it and blah, blah, blah. And then um, we actually called him, I think on like a Saturday night and said, we have a part for you, which you cut. We're, and we're having a real read through tomorrow. Wow. Yeah, because we were, you know, like Jerry always used to say when the season started, you know, you'd go, you'd be sitting there and, you know, in the pre-production period, writing scripts and everything like that. But once, you know, once you were actually shooting shows, he would always be saying, well, you can't see, we can't see land now. And so, you know, sometimes you'd hit stormy weather and, you know, we'd have a run, we'd have our read through on a Sunday, you know, which drove some people crazy. But um, what can you do? Before we, uh, we might kind of dive into some of the episodes you wrote uh, a little bit more, actually. But before we did that, another non, non-Seifeldian question, because I read, um, I read uh, Mandela was late. And I, I saw uh, at the end, you thanked your, your brother for getting into the Allman Brothers Band. I'm curious, uh, your favorite Allman Brothers Band song or album? Um, you know, have you seen them? I only saw them once, um, you know later on actually it was on a it, it was on a date with rachel the girl who was in three episode arc and oh, okay in the uh she was in larry's incredibly genius idea of getting caught making out during schindler's list which was to me to me like the greatest idea that that ever happened on the show and she got brought back for the uh the hamptons she was in the Hamptons and then she was in the next episode too. when you know, when things started switching around for George, um, the opposite. Um, another classic. Oh yeah. So I went, I went with her to see the Allman brothers and, um, and I like, uh, Melissa. That song kind of just kills me. I like Wait, any, of the, I like any song sung by, um, uh, sung by Greg. So you were dating Rachel? Yeah. Huh. <laughs> I, she hasn't been in, I, I looked her up recently. She hasn't been in anything since Seinfeld, right? Or has she? I mean, she was in a few things, I'm sure. And she was also in, an, in a really funny episode of, um, of Curb. You know, where he goes to a, um, he goes to an incest um, support group with her. And it turns out that she um, she was molested by her stepfather, and Larry goes, "Oh, that doesn't really count, does it?" Yeah, because <laughs> and she has that great line where she goes, "Oh, you mean like if it's my parent, if it's a if it's a birth parent, you know, biological parent, it's incest, and if it's a step parent, it's a date." Yeah. <laughs> did uh, was there any talk? Did you do anything? Did did you want to be on Curb? Were you asked to be on Curb? Anything like that? Any crossover at all, or you just kind of stayed away? Or um, no, yeah. I, first of all, when Curb started, I was on my DreamWorks deal. Oh, that's right. Or yeah. my, I think my first, or even my, or maybe my second. I had two DreamWorks terms, so you know, like I couldn't do anything like that. And you know, it was kind of like time to fly on my own anyway. You know, the, I my pilot for It's Like You Know had its table read the morning after the final episode of Seinfeld was shot. Oh, wow. So, back so you know, like right. at about one in the morning, I, you know, about one in the morning, I, you know, I said to Larry and Jerry, well, you know, I got to go. <laughs> we gotta, and, and Larry was like, God, I feel like I'm sending my kid off to college, which was kind of nice. So, Peter, do you ever... Like get together with, I guess, you know, the old gang, if you will, like Jerry, like when I think of the Mount Rushmore, right, of Seinfeld, Larry Charles, yourself, Jerry, and um, obviously Larry David, do you guys ever get together, like socially? 
Um, not as a group, I, you know, and, you know, Jerry, you know, once in a while, I'll see him out here. I haven't in a while. Larry, I see, you know, quite a bit because we live near each other and we both go to this dog park. So I've been seeing him quite a bit lately, which has been great. And, you know, he's got a, he's got a, um, an Australian shepherd now named Bernie. <laughs> Bernie? Uh, yeah. Is really unbelievable. Obviously Bernie Sanders, I'm assuming. I would assume. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, Larry Charles, I usually get together for coffee, you know, once or twice a year. But, you know, we're all busy in different places. It's, you know. Um, I wanted to just kind of throw a few things out from some of the episodes, if you don't mind, and kind of just kind of random questions, some of them maybe, but just like always kind of on the top of my mind when I, when I watch these episodes, like, um, I don't know, for instance, in the Virgin, that's the episode also where they go to the NBC meeting for the eventual pilot. Um, did, was that talked about already? Like the Butler idea is going to be the idea or you wrote that for that episode and then it just got carried through towards the end when they actually did the pilot. I don't know, random question, but the Butler idea, like was that uh, something you came up with in that script for the, uh, the Virgin? I think that was Larry. You know, the main idea I had is that George was dating this, you know, was dating Susan who was working at NBC and he gives her, and they kiss at the end and she gets fired. So which, what, uh, which was actually that happened? Did you know? So uh, which was one of the few times that there was any strife after a read through because you know Castle Rock thought it was a little cold that George got this girl fired, you know, and we were like, I was and I was kind of like, well, you know, what the hell? And uh, you know, Glenn Padnick got very upset about that, and you know, I, he was the you know the head of TV at. Castle Rock and you know I called him up later and I, I said you know I I didn't mean to be callous or offend you or anything like that and he just said look I, I it was an honest disagreement and I really appreciate the call so yeah did any did any episodes uh it's funny you brought that up and I, I read this year Jerry had an issue with uh the alternate side episode right when they were uh feeding Elaine's uh boyfriend who passed out like yeah. Were there were there any episodes that like you think went like went over the line or obviously wouldn't happen today, but like at the time that you had an issue with as a not as a writer, but maybe as a producer when you got together with everyone? Um you know, I, nothing that really offended me. You know, like I didn't you know, I, um I know Jerry you know wasn't thrilled with that scene, although I don't know. To me, that scene was like out of this world. Incredible. That's <laughs> episode of all time. It's, it's I was on the edge of my seat for that scene. Like it was, to me, it was just unbelievably great. I mean, it was just so. What's an tough. extremity? Oh my God. And, um, you know, but, um, you know, I, I don't think I was ever like, you know, offended, you know, by anything that seemed racist or anything like that. Of course, you'd have to be a, about a thousand times more sensitive about that kind of thing now than you were then. And um, no, you know, I, if I ever thought anything was over the line, it was just over the line of believability, you know, or, you know. Yeah, listen, I watched, uh, I watched Donna Chang last night and yeah, would it get made today? Who knows, you know? <laughs> Cream you know, I, I love that episode. I, I, that, that's one of the ones that I thought was, you know, that was kind of underrated. I actually really like that episode. No, the cl it's classic Frank and Estelle for sure. I mean, uh, I, I just love that scene when they're uh, I mean, screaming at you. you know, and also, you know, as, the, as, as a New Yorker, you know, when, when Estelle says, uh, I'm not listening to some girl from Long Island. <laughs> I just love that because there's nothing I hate more than Long Island. So. <laughs> the uh, another one that's a classic Kramer. When you said you had stories for for different actors, not actors or characters, and kind of would put them into shows when they kind of fit. The Kramer goes to fantasy camp and the visa. That's one of Kramer's best 
storytelling scenes, you know, telling that whole story about being the fans. And George's line about Kramer going to fantasy camp is one of the top lines yeah. of all time, you know, his whole life's a fantasy camp. I mean, those two together, was that your, your idea? And had you ever gone to a fantasy camp or did anyone? You, you, know? you know, that was actually, that was actually an idea Larry said, you know, I was just talking to Larry about things and uh, we somehow we talked about fantasy camps and he goes, oh, you know, yeah, that would be a good story. You know, you should, and you know, at that time I didn't think of it. I, I was, I just wasn't thinking like that, you know? So but you wrote so, what Kramer, the story Kramer tells. Um, I, yeah, I mean, it was, it was added and polished some more, you know, right, I, right. I probably, so good. at that point I was not really, um, you know, confident enough to write that long of a monologue, you know, not that I couldn't write it. I just didn't know, like, if it was right to have an actor like that, you know, like have one of the characters go on like that so long. And I think your your favorite episode, clearly you've talked about this, is The Implant, right? You, you thought it was the perfect episode. You mentioned earlier, like, you wrote certain ideas, and then in, in the beginning of the year, then you tied all together. Like, did you have the Jerry story and the George double dip story, like, in your head together? Or, like, how did that whole thing come about? Like, and, and it was season four, right? So that was the the, the, the arc season. So, like... Clearly, the implant could have run any time. Like, when did you come up with that? Um, you know, that was, you know, like, uh, it was my second full season on the show. And, you know, I was still struggling, you know, as having been a journalist before, I was still struggling with, like, you know, creativity and how to come up with these stories and things like that. And that, for that episode... I just happened to have a whole bunch of scenes that I thought were really funny, you know, like the airport scene or a fight at a, a fight at a wake, um, you know, talking to talking to a girl who who and another girl walks by and the one you're talking to says, "Oh, they're fake," <laughs> and um, you know, the death in the family fair. I had that and. And I, I love, you know, thinking that Salman Rushdie is at your gym. You know, so I had all of those scenes, all those kind of like, they all seem like completely unrelated, but really funny scenes. And somehow I found a way of mashing them all up together. And, you know, at that point, you know, all into, all into stories and... You know, the first act of that episode feels like it lasts about 30 seconds. It flies so fast and it's so good. And, you know, at that point I thought, okay, now I've really got it. I know how I'm going to write all these scripts now. I'm just going to have all these funny scenes and find a way to string them along. This is going to be great. <laughs> so it's, it's funny. You were like... you sounds like you felt uncomfortable, not uncomfortable, but a little uneasy the first couple of years. Were you, were you ever like, you know, you wrote for Mademoiselle, Mademoiselle, you said, L, et cetera, Washington Post, and all of a sudden you're with a bunch of comedians, right, writing the sitcom. Like, did you, I guess, was it the implant that at that moment you felt like you belonged? Um, yeah. Yeah. The implant then kind of the smelly car, you know, after the... When we were shooting the smelly car, I was sitting next to Jerry between, you know, takes of one of the scenes, and he says, boy, you really made the team this year. And so that, right. that was pretty great. Because you didn't, I mean, you didn't know, you didn't know any of these guys, really, right? You, you bumped into Larry twice, and this all happened kind of fast, and by luck, yeah. as you say, right? Yeah, it was, it was all luck. <laughs> <laughs> I know you, you definitely pulled some of your, I think anyway, at least from, from the book I read, I'm assuming some of those are at least somewhat autobiographical. The, the stories like the, the 16 year vomit streak that Jerry has, I believe you had a, a streak such as that, um, that you talk about in, in that book. I mean, how many, like, did you have to, speaking to this point that O'Hara just mentioned about being kind of thrown into this, were you just going back into a database of like, your like, what stories do I have that I can throw in anymore? Like, just collecting them almost constantly. Yeah. I mean, you know, 
you know, I saw that Jer that Larry got, you know, he was so ripe with his, with ideas, and so many of them came from thoughts that you know just went through his head, and he would write them down. And you know, he had this mechanism in his head where he could like basically live life, and yet still be incredibly aware of these tiny thoughts that were going through his head. You know, it's it's a tough trick, and you know, for a while it was. I, I felt like I was like not even living an existential life because I was so focused on all my little thoughts. And, um, you know, it just, uh, being, um, being creative was like an all new thing for me, you know? So, um, but the funny thing is, you know, yada, yada, I didn't, that, that ha you know, I had a meeting with an editor from a women's magazine in like 1988, you know, like nine years before I wrote that episode about. And I don't know what, and she said yada yada a couple of times during lunch. And I remember thinking, oh, I've never heard anything like that's funny. And then it wasn't in my mind again for like nine years. And then it popped into my head and I was thinking, you know, that's kind of funny, you know, like you could really kind of gloss over all forms of, of criminality with, you know, with that little one. And, well, it's uh, funny, yada, yada, you, you mentioned another, you, you mentioned another print publication uh, that I used to work at USA Today. It was funny, a Washington Post guy mentioning USA Today, but um, I remember everyone at USA Today was, you know, very happy that that, that got mentioned on Seinfeld and probably uh, helped circulation for a couple of years. <laughs> Were you a writer there? No. Sales. Ah. Uh, I guess the LA thing sales. Sales at newspapers are pretty much done. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny, but Seinfeld, right? Like Time Magazine, TV Guide. You mentioned USA Today. Like it's a uh, glamour. The internet, wasn't, internet wasn't around back then, but um, glamour. It was yeah. a big team. How great is it that Larry chose glamour for what he? <laughs> you know. And I remember, I remember Jerry. Was it Jerry? He just like looked over. He goes, "Yeah, glamour. yeah." Actually, Peter. Now you mentioned that, like, glamour, the Junior Mint. Like, were those? I don't think it was. Those were not product placements, right? You guys didn't get paid for that. Not only were they not, did we not get paid for it? you know, we weren't supposed to do it. You know, technically, no, you know, shows wouldn't let you do that. You know, mention products. You know, there were times when, I don't know if you ever noticed, but, you know, back then, you know, like... They would just say cola or chips. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Coke, you know, they, like, put a piece of tape over Coca. Right. You know, for Coca-Cola. I don't know. You know, it's just, you know, we just did it. You know, like, I had, you know, I mentioned Snapple for the, in the... Um, Virgin. In the Virgin. Yeah. You know, that I think that was the first time it was mentioned. And, you know, it just seemed like a funny <laughs> little aside to say Snapple, you know, because it was a funny word, you know. And... Too fruity. Yeah, and Junior Mint, I mean, that was an unbelievably funny thing. I mean, when Kramer goes, when Jerry, goes, it's a small, it's a small little mint. It's a junior mint. You know, <laughs> That's delivered. Just genius. So were you, were you involved? Like, I know you didn't write that show, but you were heavily involved in every episode, right? To varying degrees, you know. I mean, if I was, you know, up to my neck in some episode I was writing, um, I was less involved. You know, the funny thing is, I was in that condition when I happened to walk past the set when they did the Subway episode, and Tom Sharonis needed somebody my height to be in the Subway. And that's how I wound up, you know, as a disgruntled Subway rider that Elaine thought smelled, you know, that was me behind her. Huh. Oh, nice. Um, now I'm gonna have to rewatch re that one. Yeah, I'm trying. I, I got it in my head. I'm I'm picturing it. When she, you're talking about when she's stuck in the going to the lesbian wedding, right? Yeah, and she, yeah. Oh, guy smells. That was me. Yeah, yeah. 
that's an inner dialogue of her saying that. And exactly. we made a note, you use that technique a lot, the inner dialogue. You used it, uh, one of the best is when George is driving to the Hamptons. Right yeah. now, I can't touch your breast, and uh, this time tomorrow, I can touch your breast. Yeah, it's um, like being a private club. <laughs> yeah, the private club. Is, yeah. Uh, speaking I, of, yeah. I, I, use it, I did use it a lot, but I always used it with a little bit of trepidation because, you know, I like the normal action to tell the story, but once in a while, you know, if you could get a laugh out of it, it's different, you know? Of course. Um, speaking of laughs, Del Boca Vista in the shower head. Is that you? Did you come up with the Del Boca Vista name? Um, I think I had it slightly different than Larry changed it. But you, do you wrote the, uh, Costanza line about, you know, we're moving in lock, stock, and barrel. We're going to be all over the shuffleboard cord, that whole thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't exactly remember, you know, like the specific lines or, <laughs> or if Larry did a rewrite on that and Larry and Jerry, but uh, yeah, those are some funny scenes. Well, it's funny. I, I read in the news today, it's not funny, but this guy from Africa um, just got elected and his name is Adolf Hitler. And it brought me back to the, um, the Joel Rifkin episode, like, yeah. was like, a, having an unfortunate name, right? There's, um, another episode, there's another episode where, like, you know, who the who who outside of New York is going to know who Joel Rifkin is, and who outside of New York is going to know who Bob Shepard is? And you exactly. guys, including I was going to say that. Did you guys get Bob Shepard to do that specifically? Yes. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I that met was, him once. I mean, too. over the you know, we he was we were talking to him through you know an audio place. You know, he was you know he was in New York. And he, at one point, he said, well, you know, I wouldn't really say this. And we would like, that's yeah, okay. <laughs> that's another New York thing that, uh, that got slipped in that we actually obviously love. Um, oh, oh, Joel Rifkin was, Joel, Joel Rifkin was, uh, I love that one. I just love that idea of, you know. I did have, a, that, that seemed to be another theme, you know, that I have, you know, about like, people changing their appearance, changing their names, you know. Yeah, changing their appearance for sure. The, yeah, the nose job. And okay. from a character point of view, did you – I know you, you, you really like writing for Elaine. I know you wrote a lot of women magazines. But, like, was there a certain character that was more challenging for you? I mean, I think the work you do with George, like, it's perfect George, but – what about Kramer and Jerry? Were they were they harder from a from a writing perspective to bring them to life? No, Jerry and Elaine were easier for me. Really? Um, yeah, Kramer. Kramer, I had a lot of trouble coming up with stories for him for a long time, and then um, in the um, what's the episode where he gets the girl pregnant? Is that the twenties? No, the um, the uh, the mis the mis the Chinese ah. Chinese, woman. Chinese woman, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, when all of a sudden, I you know, on my dry erase board of ideas, where I have you know four character names and my ideas listed under them, I had Jerry Low sperm count, and all of a sudden. I was having so much trouble coming up with Kramer stories. I was like, what if I just give a Jerry story to Kramer and he would just, you know, take it to a crazy place on his own, you know, like give a really grounded story to Kramer. And that was like a revelation. So, you know, I gave that story and um, that kind of eased my, um, my Kramer story problem. Um, and the way you know, you, you George do. was, you know, George was, you know, fun to write for, but I thought, you know, Jerry and Elaine being the two more, you know, grounded, well-adjusted to some degree people, I liked writing for them more. I'm probably the only writer on the staff who was, was like that, but. Yeah, just quick. I know we touched on this earlier. So the episode where with, uh, what's her name? The, the, uh, Ping's cousin, like, George didn't want Jerry there, but then in the masseuse, the risotto, the risotto girl comes back, like, 
George did want Jerry there. Yeah. Any rhyme or reason there? Um, it just it was funny. Uh, those were just story. You know, I mean, in the Risotto episode, I remember going up to Larry on the set one day and just said, you know, I got this idea where, where Jerry dates a girl who just hates George. And he goes, <laughs> and he goes, that's a perfect Melman story. <laughs> the masseuse was kind of, it was okay. No, no. It was classic George, I thought. I just, I just love whenever George gets himself into a pickle, like, you know, about the, the, the sister not being so good looking, so she got a ticket. I never saw your sister, but I'm sure she's not a, she can't be too yeah. ugly if she had tickets. The things he got away with saying were just unbelievable. <laughs> We don't want to take up too much of your time here, Peter. I know we're coming up coming up on an hour, O'Hara. Um, Peter, I guess just off cuff, like knowing that you dated Rachel, did you date anybody else uh, from the show? No comment. <laughs> Fair enough. We'll take the Rachel one. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, no, this was great. I mean, this is this was. I can't thank you enough for uh, for for giving us your time. This oh, is a uh, pleasure. Incredible. You guys, are, uh, you guys are, are, are top shelf in your knowledge and observations, I have to say. Coming from you, that's awesome. Thank you so much. We enjoy the product. Where are you guys? We're in New, New, York. Well, New, York, New, Jer New York, New Jersey. We're uh, suburbs of the city, basically. Uh, so just, just, uh, just over the Pal Palisades Parkway, where uh, Newman got uh, pulled over for a uh, speeding ticket. So <laughs> we're, we're over in that area. I just, you know, I just wrote an article about my mother, 94 years old, getting pulled over for speeding. Oh my gosh! She got, a, she didn't get pulled over actually. She got a ticket for speeding from one of those cameras. Oh, the I, cameras! Yeah, I sent it to the. It was such a perfect piece for the New York Times, but they're very grim. You know, they're very, you know, you know, two thousand people a day are dying, so it's kind of a rough time for humor. Is your mother still in New York? She's in Queens. Yeah. So I, it's, in, it's in a form of a letter to um, Governor Cuomo. And it, I ended up selling it, uh, you know, like placing it in the um, Albany Times Union. <laughs> I got my Albany. Oh my God, that's University of New York. That's SUNY Albany? SUNY Albany, yep. Exit 23. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right, so Peter, real quick, real quick. The Knicks, uh, they got a New York kid. From Austin High School, what do you think? A um, couple years away, still the NBA. You need you need one like, of the big guys. They're like I think say they're like three years away from being two years away. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, you know, as long as they have that owner, they're going to have problems. That reminds me of the Subway episode where Jerry's talking to the guy about the Mets and they're going through yeah. everything that's wrong with them. And at the end, you still like your chances, though, right? He's like, yeah, it's like your chances. But they got the but they who's who's the relief? But they got Orozco. <laughs> yeah, they got Coleman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I love that. I love all that sports stuff. You know, like I, I love it's like finding out that Mickey Mantle corked his bat. Oh, that's a great line. Yeah, incredible line. <laughs> yeah. See, there's one line in that show I actually don't like, though. When Elaine says, every time I think you're, you know, the shallowest man I know, you seem to let a little bit more out of the pool. You know, I never liked that joke. It was, it felt written to me, you know? Like, the one thing I loved about Seinfeld is, like, the funniest things were not jokes. You know, Kramer saying, you're as pretty as any of them. You just need a nose job. That's what you're going for. That's what you want. The biggest possible laugh on something that in and of itself, it's not that funny. You know, in and of itself, that's not a joke. It just happens that in the, you know, in the dialogue, it is hysterical, you know, in, in context of the situation, it's incredibly funny, but you know, on its own, it's not really funny, but you know, Elaine's line there sounded a little bit, you know, just sounded a little bit written. 100%. I agree 100%. Can't win them all. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, Peter, thanks. Uh, it was really this appreciate was time. This was a pleasure, Zara. This was amazing, Peter. Thank you so much. Well, uh, we're, we're, yeah, we're, this was, this was incredible. We really appreciate it.
It's really happening. We'll shoot this over to you, Peter, and you could, you know, send out and, and check it out. Yeah. So. No, it was a, it was a pleasure uh, taking time out from my empty schedule. You said that on we, both, we weren't sure if that was sarcasm. You don't understand. It was that mess with us for a little while. We're going back. Is he serious? Does he really want to? And then when you, because it could have been like a sarcastic. Oh, well, yes, I guess it was, it was sarcastic. Uh, and, I, I, and I guess it could be that way. Yeah. Yeah. So we're yeah. Like, yeah. But, uh, you know, like who's got anything to do now? Like, <laughs> really, not that it's changed my life significantly, but. Yeah. Right, right. I miss oh, that. Was, this was great, though. No, right. I really well, appreciate it. Guys, and, uh, thank you, Peter. Thank you so okay. much. All right.